And we are back. It's Jimmy B and TC with you on 1700 KBGG. Talked Hawkeyes earlier in the program today. Time to talk a little Big 12. Big 12 football with our buddy Pete Mundo from Heartland College Sports. And, well, Pete, normally we hear your voice here across 1700 from time to time, but no more. You have left your outpost with CBS Sports and made your way back to the Midwest and Big 12 territory down in Kansas City. Good afternoon to you, and uh, tell us about the move. Yeah, Trent, Jimmy, it's, uh, it's been a while since I've talked to you guys, and it's been a little little crazy on my end just with everything going on. So, yeah, I started doing a, uh, a morning news show on KCMO here in Kansas City, and it was a chance to you know, get back to doing a show every day, which was fantastic and what I was looking for. And, and on top of that, it was a chance to be in a geographical part of the country that I knew I was familiar with and, of course, ties into the Big 12 and was convenient for the Big 12 and convenient for Heartland College Sports. So, the opportunity worked out great, um, you know, doing a show every morning, 6 to 10 a.m. on 710 and uh, 103.7, so it's been fantastic. It's been a lot of fun so far. It's just been a, a wild couple of months, but it's been great. Well, great to have you back in the Midwest and closer to the Big 12 action. We love talking Big 12 football with you and certainly setting up here a little more than a month away. In fact, a month away now. Big 12 media days as we'll get things started and, and then football season will really feel like it's back upon us. But an off season with certainly a lot of intrigue. Now we don't have the expansion that has got us through a couple of these summers, uh, got us into football season in the past. But Pete, with the Big 12, it, it feels like it's Oklahoma and everybody else. The gap seems pretty wide, at least going into the season. Is that how you're seeing it this summer? Uh, it's, it's it's not, Trent. You know, I, I think, yes, the talent gap is, is wide because of what OU and what Lincoln Riley has done with these last couple of recruiting classes uh, on the heels of taking over for Bob Stoops. There's no doubt that OU has the most talent and certainly should be the favorite in the Big 12, but you know, Baker Mayfield's gone. I mean, that, this is kind of the first time in two or three years you feel like this conference is as wide open as it's been in a while. I mean, especially the past two years. 2015, OU wins the Big 12. They go to the college football playoff. They lose to Clemson. And you know, you know, Baker Mayfield's coming back. He's going to obviously be a stud. They're going to probably win it again. Then he gets approved for another year, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, however long Baker Mayfield's there is how long that OU's going to be the favorite. Now, they're still the favorite, but I think that gap has shrunk significantly. And I think um, the teams behind OU, it's it's a real cluster between two and five. You know, any order of West Virginia, Texas, throw in Kansas State uh, to the mix, TCU, of course. I think any of those teams are intriguing enough to me to justify to say, hey, listen, I guess OU's the favorite. But I think it's going to be the most wide-open year we've had in the Big 12 since at least 2015, if not prior to that. So it will not be uh, what you mentioned with Sam Bradford moving on, obviously, to the NFL. And Kyler Murray, Murray it appeared maybe for a moment that he wasn't going to be the quarterback either after he was drafted in the top 10 by the Oakland A's. That won't be the case, at least as it sits here today. He's going to be out there as a quarterback for the Sooners. What do you expect? Not a real big guy. You saw him a little bit in backup duty a year ago. What can Big 12 fans expect out of Kyler Murray this season? Why? You know what? I'm not sure. I know just as much as they do as you do. I mean, you know, what we've seen is uh, a little bit of mop-up duty. We saw a little bit in that game against uh, West Virginia last year where he ran for whatever that was, an 80-yard run when he filled in for uh, Baker Mayfield for a series on that game. But outside of that, you know, we don't know. 
can go back to his time at A&M. Not a ton there to look at. So I think we're looking at a team that's certainly going to be running the ball more. I know he loves the quarterback position, but I at least have not seen Kyler Murray be successful enough at this level to uh, think that they're going to throw the ball around the field like they did with Baker Mayfield. So I think you might see more of the run game, more of the option game possibly. And the OU team is absolutely stocked at that running back position with uh, Sermon and Anderson and TJ Pledger, a freshman, coming in. So I think Lincoln Riley, who's as good an offensive mind as there is out there, is going to adjust perfectly. And I think you're going to see that uh, right away with how this OU offense runs itself. Okay, I'm really going to test your uh, thought process right now. Name me another team that the quarterback makes as much money as the head coach in college football. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a great point, Jimmy. I mean, I can't uh, – that guy's not coming to mind, but Lincoln Riley just got that raise this week, so he just passed yeah. Tyler Murray in salary. So it, at least he's – at least finally the head coach is making more than the quarterback. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing how, that, uh, how, how that's going to play out. All right, you did not mention Iowa State in that mix that you just spoke about. Look, they've got Kyle Kemp coming back at quarterback. Montgomery, the running back. You know that they're solid in the wide receiver department, and they have upgraded the offensive line as well. Are they still, in your estimation, hoping to be a six-win team, or are they a team that might be able to win eight games this year? Well, can they win the eight games? Uh, yes, I think they, they can this year. The big thing for me is where's the leadership? And I know, you know, it could be Kyle Kemp. Um, he's the obvious choice to do it. Yes, David Montgomery is another choice to do it. But who's going to fill in that role of Joel Lanning, of Alan Lazard? Uh, that's something that, you know, even a guy like Jake Campos, who was uh, such an integral part of that team and its success and, and the rebuild over the past couple of seasons, that's what I'm very interested in at Iowa State. You know, and Kyle Kemp's good, but I wonder this about Kyle Kemp. Let's not forget this guy, you know, walked on everywhere and no one really gave him a shot. And, yes, it's a great story. But after a year of tape on him, what is he? I mean, is, he, is there a regression there? Is, it, is, it, is he just as good as he was? You know, he's got new wide receiver targets, although he's got some good guys coming back like Butler and whatnot and Jones. But I want to see a little bit more on what Kyle Kemp really is and how good he is in year two. Because, yeah, we saw some really good games, like the Oklahoma game. But, you know, don't forget, even in that TCU win, Kyle Kemp was bad in that game. He did not play well. And and there were points Mm -hmm. down the stretch when he didn't play well. So, yes, they can win eight games. I think Matt Campbell has built that program over his, uh, you know, three recruiting classes to the point where he should be expecting, you know, this, this program should be expecting to be in a bowl game every year. What makes it tough in the Big 12 is that you have a round-robin schedule. Your schedule is never easier than, you know, one year to the next outside of the fact that you're flipping home versus away. And that's what makes it difficult to maintain that consistency at a place like Iowa State. It is. And you mentioned, you know, Kyle Kemp. I guess the other side of that, he's never before had an opportunity to go through a spring and summer as the number one guy and getting all the reps. And I know that's the hope, but... Zeb Nolan, I'm really excited about his future. I think they got a stable of quarterbacks there. It is going to be uh, expectations with Iowa State, always difficult. And speaking of expectations, Pete, this is uh, as big combined expectations as we've had in our state for football in a long time. You've been rolling out at Heartland College Sports, your top 10 non-conference games in the Big 12 this year. 
and Iowa State at Iowa comes in at number four. One of the biggest ones and an important one for both the Hawkeyes and Cyclones. Yeah, I, I can't speak, you know, I, I don't have as much ties, obviously, to the Big Ten. I can't speak to what the expectations are for the Hawkeyes this year, but you look at the rivalry, how that's grown, how that game played out last year. Let's be honest, Iowa State should have won that game. I, I forget the details towards the end, but I do recall that I felt like Matt Campbell kind of gave it away and got a little uh, little soft on the play calling at the end there of that game, and I think he, he probably would admit maybe deep down that he has regrets about how those final few minutes went. But uh, that was a great finish, and it's the kind of game where if Iowa State is going to no longer be, it, listen, it's like OU Oklahoma State. Iowa State's probably always going to be the little brother, but if they can solidify themselves against their biggest rival in non-conference play every September, and this can be a legitimately competitive uh, game, I think the Hawkeyes are there for the taking. I mean, Matt Campbell's the young, up-and-coming guy. Uh, you look at you look at the Hawkeyes and you look at the program, and I, I'm sorry, a part of it to me from the outside looking in uh, does feel stale. The entire Big Ten West feels stale. It's a terrible division, arguably, I think, one of the worst in college football. Uh, so if Iowa State can make that the kind of game every year that they are consistently winning, I mean, you're never going to be the flagship of the state per se, but you are going to have that respect in your region that Matt Campbell is trying to build, and, and frankly, this program I think is going to be uh, worthy of very soon. Having a great conversation right now with Pete Mundo. Pete, I'm really curious then on, on the Big 12 overall, is and you just referenced the Big Ten. We know what the Big Ten conference is like in the East, and Wisconsin has been dominating the West. But in the Big 12, now that they're going to the championship game, and we'll see how all that uh, plays out. Does that basically mean now that the Big 12 is pretty much guaranteed at getting a team in the Final Four, or are they for a lot of time still on the outside looking in? I think they're still on the outside looking in, Jimmy, but less so than they were before because uh, the reality is the SEC champions getting in and the Big Ten champions getting in barring some crazy unforeseen circumstances. Uh, that leaves the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, uh, and something wild like Notre Dame fighting for those final two spots, right? So uh, the Big 12, I believe the credibility has grown, has come back a little bit over the past couple of seasons, but I don't think it's a shoe in that the Big 12 champion is in, even with a one loss, and, and that's concerning to me. But if it's a non-blue blood i mean i just i don't trust this committee so if, if it's a non-blue blood like say a baylor or a tcu back in 2014 and mm -hmm. they have one loss but let's say it's a bad loss or it's a loss to a team they shouldn't have lost to and they win the big 12 and maybe the big 12 is viewed as slightly down that year i don't think it's a guarantee that the big 12 is in i could totally see uh, a situation like last year where an 11 and 1 alabama that doesn't even make the championship game gets in in a scenario like that. I mean, I, I could see a situation like that, absolutely. And that's it's unfortunate, but uh, I just think that that's how the powers that be have decided that this thing is going to play out. So I feel good about a one-loss Big, Big 12 champion getting in because of that championship game addition, but they've got to win the championship game um, to have any chance. So that championship game could hurt teams, but I think more often than not, 
it is going to help this conference, especially gain credibility because, you know, you think about that first Saturday in December, it's championship Saturday. The Big 12 was playing regular season games, and they can say that OU versus Oklahoma State was the de facto championship game. Nobody cared. You've got to have the championship game. You need it for credibility purposes, and I'm glad the Big 12 brought it back. How about Texas? With uh, year number two now upon us with Tom Herman, and you talked about some of the other teams in the mix. Are, are you in the camp that a big leap is happening? They had so many close losses last year, or is this going to take longer than maybe the Texas fans certainly want here to get them up there to be competing to, to at least play in that championship game? Well, you better see signs of it this year. And one of the things I like from last year is that uh, Texas lost a lot of very close games by like a touchdown or less. Uh, you think of that Texas Tech game, you think of the Oklahoma game, they kind of stick out in your mind. And that's similar to me about what happened with Iowa State actually two years ago when they had all those close losses in Matt Campbell's first year by like a touchdown or less. And then they were primed for a big jump in year two. Now, the difference here is that Tom Herman's losing a lot of his studs on defense, guys like Malik Jefferson, uh, Deshaun Elliott, all these big names that were, you know, all conference guys are gone. They do have an incredible amount of talent on that side of the ball, and Todd Orlando, I believe, is the best defensive coordinator in the conference, which is a good thing. But, uh, you know, with Texas, we've been saying this for a decade. So until I see it, I'm just not buying it. I mean, if they get nine wins this year, I think that's a success. But 2019 is the year that Tom Herman has got to compete and be in the Big 12 championship game because he had a fantastic recruiting class this year. His secondary has like three five-star guys in it. A lot of those true freshmen are probably going to play this year. But next year is the year with probably a, a junior quarterback in Sam Ellinger who's going to have another year under his belt. Um, new talent at wide receiver, working through offensive line issues. This year they've got to get to that. You've got to get to at least eight to feel good about it. Nine will make you feel pretty good. Ten will make you feel great. And then next year's got to be the year they're competing uh, in that Big 12 championship. Pete, this is a uh, kind of a recruiting sort of question. And we have a, a running back uh, in Jarrell Brock, who is going to visit Iowa State this weekend. He's got offers from Northwestern, and then Notre Dame comes in. It's my focus right now that just because Notre Dame entered into the equation and people say, oh, my God, it's Notre Dame, we don't have a chance, I, I don't believe that anymore. I think Notre Dame, that sort of magic, the stigma that we're so good is gone. And I think now schools, or at least they should be thinking, well, it doesn't matter if Notre Dame's in because we're all that and a bag of chips as well. So yeah, am, I I, correct? Yeah. Am, am I correct in that or not? I, I think you're spot on, Jimmy. I mean, we talk about Iowa being stale under Kirk Ferentz. Notre Dame's is one of the most stale programs in the country. I mean, Brian Kelly, mm -hmm. I, there were rumors he was just going to leave the job last year because he was so unhappy there. Yeah, look at look at the top guys that Notre Dame gets, and let's be honest, they're big guys in the offensive line who, for the most part, either have some legacy or their parents want them to get a great education because they grew up thinking Notre Dame was all that. And don't get me wrong, it's a fantastic academic institution, but it's in the middle of nowhere. There's very little interest in going to South Bend unless you're going to a Fighting Irish game, and most notably, that was fun like 50 years ago. I'm not sure what's so fun about it right now, but there's no doubt if I'm Iowa State, I'm not afraid of recruiting against Notre Dame. I mean, I don't think a 17-year-old kid is caught up in the four horsemen anymore. I don't think he cares. Mm -hmm. 
I really don't. Mm-hmm. And the facilities, the arms race in the facilities is there day in, day out. But, you know, a place like Iowa State has great facilities, and, and most of the Power 5 programs really do. So I think playing for a young guy like Matt Campbell and getting to play uh, Texas and Oklahoma every year, I mean, that's enticing to me. And now you're, you know, you're competing for bowl games every year. You're potentially going to be competing for near the top half of the Big 12 Conference. I mean, Notre Dame also ruined its schedule with joining the ACC in a you know a half half mannered form or whatever they did, where they got a, they lost a lot of their rivalries. You know they're not playing Michigan every year. I know they're doing it this year, but they're not doing that every year anymore. And they're, but they're still playing like Navy and whatnot. I, I just I don't see the appeal. You're not going to play in a conference championship game at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is stale. It's toast. And I don't think a school like Iowa State should be at all intimidated by recruiting against Notre Dame. Good stuff and a good point, Pete. Hey, great catching mm-hmm. up with you again. Happy to have you back in the Midwest. And uh, we'll be talking a lot throughout the summer leading up to football season. Thank you, as always, for your time, Pete. Trent, Jimmy, anytime, guys. Take care. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports, Big 12 fans, the place to go. Great information. They have their top 10 non-conference games up right now. Number one on that list. I told you, Jim, that the uh, Iowa-Iowa State game was number four. At number mm-hmm. one, USC, Texas, back for the second consecutive year. Yeah. And uh, remember a year ago, the Longhorns just about nipped the Trojans. They did. They really did. And I think then a lot of people expected Texas to uh, really start to break out, and it didn't happen. So I'm with Pete on, on Texas. you got to show me first. I'm, I'm okay with that. No doubt about it. We're coming back on the other side as we take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. We're going to talk some baseball. Our friend Scott Miller, he was up in Minnesota, his old stomping grounds, wrote for a number of years with the St. Paul Pioneer Press, now the national writer at Bleacher Report. He was up there, saw a fun one last night with the Twins and the Red Sox. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more with Scott Miller up next. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700. KBGG. Welcome back once again. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Time to talk a little more more Major League Baseball. Joining us right now, you see his work at Bleacher Report. It's Scott Miller. Scott, good afternoon to you. Good to talk to you again. And you're on the road. How are things up north in Minnesota? Hey, Trent. Real good. Nice to be with you. Uh, yeah, probably similar weather. I don't know what it is where you are, but uh, I'm guessing similar. It's It's pretty pleasant. It's no rain in sight, which is a good thing, and, uh, you know, high 70s, it's, so it's perfect summer weather. It's not overly hot and all good. Yeah, well, down here, we're three and a half hours to the south, but we're getting dumped on right now with the rain, and yeah. oh. we, we've been dodging uh, raindrops all afternoon, so it's been a little bit different, but good that it's clear up there. Excited to see the Twins back in action, and so I'm watching, as I do nearly every single night, the Twins and Dick Bremer of Fox Sports North, and... And you know everybody, you spent some time in the Twin Cities, and they gave you a little shout-out. Sounds like you almost got hit by a foul ball last night, is that right? <laughs> did they really? They That's did. That's funny. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I moved, I, I did not almost get hit, it absolutely came screaming back at me. <laughs> and uh, being a veteran that I am, I first thing I do is protect the computer. I flip down the screen to make sure we were good. I leaned far to the right in my chair. And the ball came back and whapped against one of the back wall, left a pretty nice indentation as well. <laughs> Somebody uh, looked it up. They said the exit velocity was only 83. It seemed like it was about 320. But uh, that's good. I hadn't had a chance to say hello to Dick yet uh, yesterday. I was going to make sure to do that today. So that's uh, the 
TV cameras never miss anything. No, not not at all. And that's yeah, great. Dick Dick said, "Oh, hit our old friend Scott Miller up there." Looked like it. Uh, I got a kick <laughs> out of that. No, we're we're talking to Scott tomorrow. How great is that? Well, you got to see a, a really fun <laughs> game yesterday and a great pitching matchup. So let's start right there. Barrios, who continues to ascend. This is a guy that you know the Twins have been waiting since Johan Santana to find that number one starter. And it looks like they have a guy certainly that has the the pieces to do that against Chris Sale. Great pitching matchup. The Twins come up big. Escobar again, and, and this guy is ridiculously hot. Uh, take us back to last night and and what you're doing up in Minnesota. Yeah, just you know, I came in doing some uh, feature stuff. I need to see some Red Sox people and mm-hmm. uh, you know some Twins as well. And it was a great pitching matchup. You're exactly right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was fun last night. It, you know, a big, a nice win for the Twins because Chris Sale was just phenomenal for seven innings. He was all but unhittable. And, um, you know, the for, the Twins were losing, I believe, by a run when he came out. And then, you know, Boston's bullpen gave it up. Tough one for Boston to lose because, you know, when you've got a guy like Chris Sale that, that's going that, that strong, uh, you know, you need to win those games. But like I say, flip side for the Twins, it was a very good win. And you're right, Barrios is, uh, you know, he went toe-to-toe with Sale. I'm not, you know, talking to him afterwards, I think you know, he was, uh, you know, a little bit of extra extra adrenaline running for him because I, he's young enough. Obviously, he knows who Chris Sale is, and he was, uh, I think, fired up for the challenge. And you could see uh, in the results he was up to the challenge. Um, I'm real curious about what you think Will the Red Sox-Yankees then battle all the way down until the final game to see who decides the AL East? And, in your estimation, a two-part question, uh, can the Twins, do they have enough to hang around where they might, might be close to being a wild card team? Well, to answer your first question, yeah, I think there's no question the Yankees and Red Sox are going to... you know, being a full-on sprint to the finish line this year. I, I think, you know, it's a weird year. Competitive balance in baseball has always been so good. This year, it's 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 not. I mean, you look to me, the American League, you got three superpowers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Houston Astros. And uh, I thought Cleveland was going to be in that group, and they still might. But so far, the Indians have, uh, you know, they're not firing on all cylinders. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, I think, Whoever is hot at the right time in October could well go to the World Series. Um, I like in the American League East. I like Boston's lineup uh, a little better than the Yankees, just in terms of contact hitters and such. But um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. needs to get going. He's batting down there at ninth, and he's only hitting about a buck eighty-four, and he cannot figure it out this year. But you know, I think all, when all is said and done, not just the lineups, but but. Chris Sale, David Price, Rick Porcello, that's a pretty solid front three of the rotation. I look for the Yankees to build, to acquire some starting pitcher by the trade deadline because I think, you know, to me, Boston can outflank them a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I do think they're two heavyweights that will be going to the end. In, in, in terms of the Twins, um, you know, like I said, I thought Cleveland was going to be with those other three in terms of, of the best teams in the American League, but... Cleveland's been sluggish. Uh, twins have not been able to figure out either. I mean, I think you know most people figure they'd be over five hundred, not under five hundred, this deep into the season. And you know, Byron Buxton's on the DL with a fractured toe, and Miguel Sano was sent back to single A ball to you know figure it out. He is not 
you know, he, he, he's, he's looked awful at the plate this year. So, I mean, I think if the Twins are going to hang around and, and challenge for a wild card slot or whatever it's going to be, they're going to have to get Buxton and Snow back in the lineup, and they're going to have to get them right. Now, you know, there's still time for that. You know, maybe Sano figures things out. You know, you say you scuffled against the slider in particular. And, you know, so whatever, you know, they're working with him on a stroke down at, at um, Fort Myers, single A. And, you know, they're going to need to figure that out. If they get him back and, you know, Buxton, that toe's going to heal. And, and I think the Twins can figure, you know, they, they can make a run if they get healthy and, and get Snow back. Talking right now with Scott Millers. He's up in Minnesota getting ready for Game 2 of that one tonight. David Price on the bump against Lance Lynn, who's been a lot better for the Twins. But we'll move away from that series, and let's go next to the Cubs. And, well, the story today, Brandon Morrow put on the 10-day DL. Those kind of things happen. and go a little tweak of the back. But he tweaked it, putting on his pants. Scott, I've had a lot of injuries. Never before, though. Putting on my pants and uh, baseball injuries. It's, I mean, th- this could be a book of its own. Weird injuries in baseball. Is there one that jumps to your mind? One of the craziest that you've heard? Because this one's certainly up there. Well, I mean, there's. Uh, you're right. Baseball injuries. I mean, just look at within the last 24, 48 hours. Hunter Strickland, San Francisco's yes. closer, blew a, blew the save Monday night and got angry and slugged the wall. And, you know, the first thing they tell you, or at least you ought to figure out when you're a pitcher, is if you're going to lose your temper and you're going to hit something, use not your pitching hand. Use the other hand. But, uh, you know, there's one. The one that jumps to mind comes from sometime, I think it was in the late 1980s, maybe Sammy Sosa of the Cubs landed on the disabled list after sneezing. Uh, a violent sneeze, uh, he pulled his ribcage. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, in fact, I was in the clubhouse at the time, and I happened to be near him, and I saw him sneeze. There wasn't any immediate reaction. I didn't think much of it. And then later on that night, come game time, all of a sudden there was an announcement in the press box that Sammy Sosa's been scratched from the lineup, and it turned out it was that sneeze landed him on, straight on the disabled list. So, you know, I mean, there's all we could go on and on. Steve Sparks, the old knuckleballer for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers and and other teams. Uh, uh, Phil Garner, the old Milwaukee Brewers manager, brought in a motivational speaker uh, one time and to talk to the club. And the guy was so good that Steve Sparks tried to emulate something he said. He picked up the yellow pages for you kids that might be listening and don't know what phone books are. We used to get these big, thick listings of phone numbers. Anyway, Sparks picked up the yellow pages, tried to rip them in half, and they're so thick, of course, that he ended up damaging his shoulder. He landed on the disabled list from that. So, I mean, yeah, the injuries are crazier in baseball, I think, than any other sport. To me, partly because the season's so long and you're playing every day. I mean, if you're in football, um, you know, for example, you sneeze, you pull your rib cage. If you're a blocker, it, you probably still keep playing. Uh, if you're a lineman, but otherwise, maybe you don't have a game for five or six days, so you have time for that rib cage to heal. Whereas in baseball, crazy things happen, and and the games are every day, so there's no hiding. Having a great conversation with Scott Miller right now. Uh, Bleacher Report on Major League Baseball. Um, Scott, take me to teams that are going to start unloading talent. We already saw the deal go down between Kansas City 
and the Washington Nationals. Is that just the beginning for the Royals? And who else now do you think will start to unload? Yeah, I mean, the Royals are off to one of the worst starts in franchise history, and they got a deal they liked, so they moved. And I think that's really good. I think the Nationals, they got exactly what they needed. Kelvin Herrera is a solid, solid closer. He's probably the best closer that was going to be out there on the market. Um, you know, I could see Cincinnati in the closer vein dealing Rysel Iglesias, um, Detroit, Shane Green. Those are a couple other guys that will probably be out there by the July trade deadline. Um, you know, starting pitching is always at a premium. Cole Hamels in Texas isn't what he used to be, but the Rangers are are skidding. They're out of it, and and they've pretty much telegraphed already that that they're going to be trading Cole Hamels. It's just a matter of to who, to whom. Um, Detroit, Michael Fulmer's a guy that could be on the market. I think if the Tigers get an offer they like, they would deal him. Um, you know, the big one, of course, Manny Machado in Baltimore. The Orioles are are pretty much out of it and he's a free agent this winter and the fact that they haven't resigned him yet pretty much tells us that uh um you know they're gonna they have to trade him if they don't it's it's irresponsibility it's organizational irresponsibility if they don't trade machado so you know where he lands is going to be telling i think the national league so close speaking of the haves and have nots the national league this year to me is like the junior varsity compared to the American League, there's nobody close to the Yankees, Red Sox, or Astros in terms of of, of uh, competitiveness. Um, but you know the the Dodgers, the, the the Brewers, the Cubs, the Nationals, all of those guys. If any one of those were to acquire Machado, that could be a game changer. And whoever acquires him, if it's a National League club, I think whoever gets Machado could immediately become National League favorites. Scott, a, a really cool story just to our west as the College World Series is going on and next season yep. right before a Major League Baseball game. Tigers and Royals are going to get together for a uh, game right as the World Series, College World Series opens up there. Good move by Major League Baseball, it feels, at least from our vantage point here in the Midwest. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be fun. Uh, you know, baseball is doing a lot to try to tie, you know, reach out to young, the younger generation, and they should. I mean... You know, they've got to get the millennials into the game. And, you know, I think one way to do that is, that, you know, they're looking for different, uh, uh, you know, I don't know about if branding is the word or different tie-ins with different things. And tying in with the College World Series, I, I think is a good move. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of, team, of baseball fans, um, you know, who maybe don't pay attention to college baseball during the year, but this time of year when, when, when all those teams go into Omaha. I think even people that don't pay that much attention to college baseball start watching it now. And, you know, Kansas City, the Royals being right there, um, I, th- I think it's a great idea to go in and play a game at, in Omaha leading into the, World Series, the College World Series. Um, I'm just. I just want to go back to, uh, because of the teams that you talked about in the National League being junior varsity, and yeah. this brings me, and this, and I, and I get it. I understand it, what you're saying perfectly, Scott. The Milwaukee Brewers, um, they're a half game in front of the Cubs right now in the uh, Central of the National League. Do they have the the testicular fortitude to pull a deal <laughs> to land to land? Machado as a renter player for the rest of the season? Could you could you see the Brew Crew trying to do something like that? You know, it's, it's I love uh, I love your 
your ver- verbiage. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it would be an interesting move. I, I The Brewers strike me, and, and I could be wrong, but they strike me as a more conservative organization where it comes to their young talent because they know, you know, for some of the teams like the Brewers that aren't going to spend a ton of money in free agency, they've got to keep that minor league pipeline healthy and flowing toward the majors. Um, I don't know if they would just empty out because it's going to take a lot. Whoever gets Machado, you know, the Orioles obviously are, are sitting in a seller's market where it comes to Machado. And I think if they end up, uh, you know, it's going to take four or five uh, prospects minimum to get Machado, probably one or two current major league players, and, and then two or three pretty good minor league prospects. So I don't know if Milwaukee will be in position to do that or, as you say, have the testicular fortitude <laughs> to, uh, to empty out their farm system. But um, I will say this. You know, I th- the other thing is I think, the Brewers need a starting pitcher to me. I mean, I like that they got Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich last winter. That's really helped. Their bullpen is lights out. The hater kid is, is just phenomenal. Um, I'm not sure, though. You know, the Brewers right now, if they hold on and win the division, if they get into October, who pitches game one? Who starts game one? Who starts game two? Uh, you know, the rotation's a little murky. Very murky. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and another arm with that team. And it, it doesn't have to be an elite-level talent, it doesn't feel like. But, I mean, with, yep. with that bullpen, you get a guy, though, that your confidence going to give you a solid five innings. You can piece everything together. And that team come playoff oh, time, course. Scott, with that bullpen, they're as scary as anybody, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, because we've seen... The value of bullpens, you know, if you can get a lead and if you've got lights-out guys to throw in the back end of the game, you know, you're in really good shape, and, and Milwaukee has that. So they're ahead of the curve from that department. Um, so you're right. We're not talking – they don't need a Houston Astros type of rotation where they need guys to go seven innings or eight innings. I mean, if they get that, that's a bonus. But if you got guys, somebody that can go five or six and get the ball to the bullpen, then the Brewers are going to be in really good shape. That's Scott Miller from Bleacher Report joining us up in Minnesota. Scott, great catching up with you once again. Enjoy the ball game tonight. We'll do pretty good tonight. Uh, David Price for the uh, Red Sox, so uh, the Twins have another challenge in front of them. But, uh, you know, what a great place to watch a ball game, by the way, Target Field. You know, you guys already know that. Great stuff. So, uh, thanks. Take care. Enjoy talking with you. Good stuff. Thanks, Scott. That's Scott Miller joining us here on the program today, talking a little Major League Baseball And a good one tonight. We'll take a look at that game and a whole lot more coming up next as we take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. Jimmy B and TC on 1700. We're presented by Wolf Construction Roofing. Hey, the rain's out there. And if you found a little leak in the roof, need to get that patched up, or if it's time for the complete re-roof, give the guys a call today at Wolf Construction Roofing. We're back with more in a moment. And welcome back, everybody. Just about ready to wrap things up here on a dreary Wednesday here on Jimmy B and TC. All right, Trent. Um, I want to kind of get into baseball here tonight because it's pretty much all that is on. And while I'm watching Major League Baseball, I'm going to be doing my homework on the NBA draft because that'll be the big topic of conversation on Thursday and Thursday night and then Friday. Um, but let's start with baseball first. 
I know that it'll be, and I know where you'll be tonight. Mm-hmm. It'll be the Twins in Boston. I, I, I like that matchup, and I, I'm going to be there with you tonight watching. But I'm also going to watch some of Seattle and the New York Yankees just because the Yankees are on this incredible run. They've already hit 118 home runs, and they're on pace to hit like 822 for the season. So it's like craziness that is going on. Uh, with the Yankees as far as chicks dig the long ball. So those are the two games that I will most likely lock in tonight. Where are you? Yankees, Seattle's pretty decent. That, that's a good one there. And uh, the youngster starting for the Yankees was good as last time out. This will be his second start against King mm-hmm. Felix, who is more like a prince or uh, kind of like a peasant. <laughs> Not the same guy he once was, okay. but uh, him at Yankee Stadium tonight. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on that one for me, obviously, tonight. It's going to be Red Sox and the Twins up at Target Field. Haven't taken a peek up at the weather. We talked to Scott Miller earlier this hour. He said all systems were go up there, so hopefully uh, no weather as we've dealt with that all throughout the day today, Jimmy B. Yeah, watch that. Maybe a little Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, a a little digging around, a little flipping around tonight. And, well, again, weather permitting, a little more College World Series. Uh, Mm -hmm. Entertaining. It's uh, something a little bit different here. And Oregon State and North Carolina tonight in an elimination game should be pretty good. So I will, uh, I'll keep an eye on that one. Baseball at the forefront of things, and then getting ready for the draft tomorrow. So, Jimmy B, give me a give me a stand right now. Give me a guy that you're. I, I've told you I don't get why DeAndre Ayton is clear cut for everybody. Number one, look, he's good. Okay, he, he's really yeah. good. But to just say that he is that much better than Marvin Bagley the third, I. I've been struggling with that. Who's the guy that you're in love with? Who's the guy that, whatever it may be, maybe a guy in the top 10, even top 20, who's somebody, though, that you believe is going to be better than where he's projected to go? I'm going to tell you my guy, and uh, he really turned my head the other day when I saw him in an interview, and that's Colin Sexton out of Alabama. 6'3 guard, lightning quick, tough-minded, highly skilled, loves to play defense, and can score, and a high motor, similar to Russell Westbrook. So from that standpoint, I think you might see a team, I don't know where it'll take place, but you may see a team try to move up who's in the market for a dynamic point guard and trying to get Colin Sexton out of Alabama. Look, we already saw the Charlotte Hornets deal Dwight Howard to the Brooklyn Nets for Timothy Mozgov and a couple of uh, second-round selections. They wanted to dump that big contract that Dwight Howard has, and so they get Mozgov and the two second-rounders. I think you're going to see teams that are in that 10, 11, 12, 13 area Seeing if they can indeed, and it's tough to do in the NBA, you and I have talked about matching contracts and how you have to match money, try to move up, and it wouldn't shock me if somebody tries to try to move up and try to get Sexton. That's the guy. Sexton is the guy. He is athletic as all get out. He can push it up and down the floor. He might be a guy. You remember Chauncey Billups when he came into the league? And yes, uh-huh. Yeah. Came out of Colorado, went there for a year, got Colorado the NCAA tournament, which was unheard of at the time with Buffalo yep. basketball. But 
he wasn't ready for the league. It took him a little while, and of course, he, he became big shot chance, and, and he was hitting big ones for the Pistons. He became a really good player, and, and for a while, certainly a top 10 player in the league, but it took longer. I kind of look at Sexton like that. If you're looking for an immediate impact, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but he's a guy I could see maybe being a little bit later bloom, and all of a sudden he's 24, 25, 26. He really mm-hmm. comes into own. I, I do like his game a lot. On the other side, so, all right, the guy for me, Mikel Bridges is going to come in. He's going to be a good player. I mean, that goes he without is. staying. Yep. Saying, you go a little bit deeper, though, down in this draft, and there's a guy, another point guard that I'm really intrigued with. I, I watched quite a bit of USC a year ago, and okay. DeAnthony Melton, who, mm-hmm. watching him at times, incredibly long arms, but he never, I never saw him and thought, boy, that's a guy you got to take in the top 15. But there's been a lot of buzz with him. I've heard the last couple of days. He's a guy on the other side that, sure, if all those things come together and with that wingspan, yeah, he can be a really nice player for you. I, I don't know. If, if you're looking for a guy that can run a team, I don't think he's that. But if you're looking for a 3 and D type of player, he could be good. He's a guy, though, that I've just seen such a wide range. I wonder about it. And like I said, watching USC last year, he was never anybody that jumped out. I know you watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball. Did you see much of Melton last season? I did, and I liked it. I liked what I saw from him in several games, and I think you're right. I think that he might turn out to be a draft steal if he's taken in the late first round. And one other guy that I just thought of as well, Chandler Hutchinson out of Boise State. Mm. Remember when Iowa played uh, played them? That kid didn't play. And everybody talked about, well, Boise State doesn't have their NBA player playing in that game. He averaged like 22 points a game, and he has moved up the draft boards as well as a 6'7 swing guy that can play the 2 or the 3, and a lot of teams now are starting to lock in on him later on in the first round. Well, a lot more on this coming up tomorrow in tomorrow's show. We'll give you some hot takes, and we will bring you home right before the NBA draft. Enjoy the baseball tonight, World Cup tomorrow, whatever it may be. Myself and Ken Miller will be with you tomorrow starting at noon, followed by Jimmy B and TC on your drive home from 4 until 6 o'clock. Thanks to everybody out there for listening in. Once again, we'll be back tomorrow. Have a good night.